I'm Ava Hartling. Welcome to The Brand is Female. I launched this podcast so that powerful women would share their journey to unlocking their own potential, to empower others, and to inspire change. If you like today's show, as always, please subscribe, rate, and review on the podcast app of your choice. This week, my guest is Moshe Lundstrom-Halbert, fashion editor as well as co-founder and creative director of outerwear brand Termacota. Now based in Miami, Florida, Moshe has also lived in New York City and Toronto, with titles and shows such as Women's Wear Daily, Footwear News, Flair, Elle, and Fashion Television on her resume. She has also served as the Associate Fashion Director at Hudson's Bay Company and Lord & Taylor. She is a contributor to Vogue Magazine and BOF, the Business of Fashion, and she appears on air regularly on CBC's Q and CityLine. Moshe launched Termakota a few years ago along with her mom, Linda Lundstrom, and sister Sophie Lundstrom-Halbert. And the outerwear brand, thanks to its scandy chic lines and its versatility, has attracted the eyes of editors and savvy consumers globally. I sat down with Moshe just before the CAFA Awards Gala last week, and we talked about her start in the world of fashion, what made her want to start her own fashion line, and what inspires her on a daily basis. My name is Moshe Lundstrom-Halbert, and I am a fashion entrepreneur and editor and on-air journalist. I grew up in Toronto, only about you know, five-minute drive from here where we are in, in Yorkville, so really in the center of the city. And uh, I grew up really immersed in the fashion world. My mother was very much a working mom, and she only took off, you know, two weeks to have me because it was a very inconvenient time that I arrived in, oh, in wow. between one of her collections. And so I, I came to work with her from the age of two weeks old. Um, along with my Portuguese nanny. So my first language was actually Portuguese because I was always talking to the sewers and the seamstresses mm. in her factory and fabrics were really like my first toys. That's amazing. And so I really love to um, express myself through fabric. Mm. And um, so growing up, that was a big part of my upbringing, but I also was just very interested in lots of different art forms, um, especially theater and drama. Mm. So, and Toronto such a creative place. So it was a, there were so many outlets for that. Um, I was always really drawn to fashion as a form of expression. Mm -hmm. And it was funny because you'd think that my mom, being a designer and having her own brand, um, you know, she had like over a hundred employees and she was really this like powerful female figure in my life. You'd think that she would maybe encourage or be happy that I was showing such of an interest, yeah. but she wasn't exactly. I think that um, my interest, I was really drawn to fashion magazines and that mm -hmm. kind of like worried her a little bit because, mm -hmm. you know, around the age of nine years old, here I am going and taking my allowance and buying Vogue. I remember the first issue I bought with like, Lisa Marie Presley wearing Chanel on the cover mm. um, in the 90s. And I was just really obsessed with this glamorized world of fashion. And mm. my mom was much more rooted in reality, dressing real women with all different body types mm. and pulling upon her Canadian and Scandinavian heritage for her work. And I was like obsessed with the 
Hubert de Givenchy works mm. Um, mm-hmm. in the silver screen and in the pages of Vogue. So I think she was actually encouraging me to maybe become a little bit less obsessed with fashion and more um, well-rounded, which I think mm. I'm glad that, you know, I have other interests as well because I right. think fashion can be very all-encompassing too. Mm. Right, right. And so at that point, you already had an inkling that a career in fashion or linked to fashion would be something that would appeal to you? No, I didn't at all. And again, it's so funny when you ask this, because looking back, it all makes sense. But in the moment, I didn't think this was why. But I was also rebelling against what was surrounding me, which was the business of fashion and my mom having stores and a big company. And I always had people, even from a very young age, it's funny that you they would like put this pressure on a kid asking me, so are you going to like be a designer like your mom? Are you going to take over the business mm. someday? Right. And I felt this um, pressure to kind of know what I wanted to do. My mother was a sewing prodigy. She started sewing when she was three years old. Oh my God. Wow. I know. And like was winning <laughs> competitions and like was the star of her class when she went to Sheridan College here in Canada and like went apprentice with a couturier in France. So she just had a knack for it. My fashion interest was more about like the journalism side and the editorial side Mm. um but i fell really in love with drama and with theater Mm, so i wanted to be an actress okay all throughout my youth and Mm. really pursued that actively uh, both personally and professionally to various degrees of success i like to say that like um i retired at like 20 one Mm -hmm. um, from acting from film and television Mm -hmm. um, because I realized and I think it's a really important lesson that I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that I was like obsessed with this dream of being a successful actor and I had gone to theater school in New York City and really studied it but I didn't actually enjoy my industry I only liked the acting part I only liked when the director said action okay and cut Mm-hmm. Those are my favorite moments. The mm-hmm. auditioning, the um, competitive nature of it, the mm. phoniness, the rejection. Like, mm. that's 99% of it. Right, right. And, you know, after living in L.A., studying in New York, it really became clear to me that as much as I loved acting, it probably wasn't the best path for me because I'm a control freak Mm -hmm. and I wanted to kind of control my own destiny Mm -hmm. and not be waiting for someone else to say yes and approve me for something. I wanted to be able to be approving my own projects Mm -hmm. and And control them entirely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) So at that point, did you have any, well, let's talk about first how you eventually found a path to fashion and fashion journalism specifically. Yeah, it was really funny. I always, I always was, um, I always loved writing when I was in school, but I think school is a funny, sometimes indicator of your skill set. Like, mm-hmm. not everyone does well in a school subject that they yes. might be necessarily talented in. Yes. So, for instance, I was the type of student, I went to this incredible school here in Toronto called St. Clement's. And it's an all-girls school, but so academically rigorous. And they were basically trying to churn out and produce the kind of young women that could get into Ivy League schools and be Mm. champion debaters and also ace biology and algebra and, you know, be incredible painters at the same time. Right. Like, just good at everything. (laughs) 
<laughs> and I, <laughs> as much as I appreciated that rigor and that excellency that was demanded, I'm one of those people that I'm either really good at something or so terrible. Mm. Uh, so my my education, my marks were kind of a reflection of that. Like okay. I was either failing math or like getting 90 something in the arts. Mm. Um, but mm -hmm. in English and in creative writing, I was just like pretty good, but I wasn't considered excellent by any means. Okay. Um, and I think that's just a sign too that sometimes the education system yeah. doesn't mm -hmm. doesn't uh, you can fall through the cracks a little bit and yes. doesn't always catch upon your true skill set. So I always felt like I was a good writer, but not nothing excellent. But um, while I was in school, one thing that I was always known for, even when I was in high school and wearing a very conservative uniform was the way I dressed. Mm. That's always been a form of expression for me. Okay. And if I don't, if I'm not wearing something that feels like a reflection of me on the inside, mm -hmm. I feel incredibly awkward and out of place. Mm. Um, it's really important to me to manifest myself on the exterior, the way I feel in, inside. So I was really known like in high school for the way I dressed right. and the pride that I took in it. And also, you know, my mother would always make me like my prom dresses and that kind of thing. Right. So it was always a collaboration. Um, but when I was in university, I, I think because of my style, um, I got asked to write for the school newspaper okay. about fashion. Okay. And that's when I first started to really flex that muscle. And just to make a long story short, one day out of the blue, I got an email from Lisa Tant, who was the editor-in-chief of mm -hmm. Flair at the time, um, just saying that she had read my piece in the University of Toronto Varsity School newspaper. Amazing. And that she really liked it and right. thought I had a talent. And... Um, and that just made my ears perk up. And then I remember I started following her on Twitter mm -hmm. and a few weeks passed and she posted that there was a job opening at mm. Flair for the news editor. And I applied and um, after a very rigorous interview, because if you know Lisa Tan, mm -hmm. you know that she is like one tough cookie and she's such a mentor to me. Okay. Um, but she, you know, really pushed me. Mm. Uh, I ended up getting the job and that was kind of my first big break. Before that I had interned at Elle Canada and done some writing for them, done some writing for Fashion Magazine and um, had done a long internship at Fashion Television. Okay, so okay. it's funny when I finally went from being an intern to becoming a real editor and having my own interns. So you've come full circle basically. I've come full circle, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And you've mentioned Lisa Tent, obviously, uh, but even before that, were there specific role models, and it could be in fashion or in different industries, different fields, uh, specific women that inspired you or, you know, give you an idea for what you'd want to be doing as a career? Totally. Well, I th it feels cliche and boring to say this, but my, I mean, my mother is such a huge influence for me, and but she's also a mentor to so many other women too and I think even just like watching her mentor all these women in her company and women in our life people in our community was such a shining example for me of like the type of woman I wanted to be where I wanted to also worked really hard to be at the top of my game but 
be always thinking about how I can help and support and bring up other women around me. Right, right, right. Um, she just has like the most incredible spirit of generosity to mm, her. Mm-hmm. So that was a huge influence. And my mother is one of the most creative people I've ever met. Mm. Um, it's pretty boundless. And she's so driven by what she does. And she doesn't rely on a man for anything. You know, whether it's that. to fix something that's broken, mm-hmm. lift something that's really heavy. <laughs> she just doesn't seek validation, approval, or need help. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, kind of Viking, Scandinavian power woman's strength is, I hope a little bit has been passed on to me. And then, you know, another influence for me growing up was um, Jeannie Becker. Her uh, daughters had gone to the same school as me. Okay. So I grew up seeing her at, um, you know, special assemblies arriving mm. in the most, like, I remember one time she arrived in a suede cat suit, probably straight from the set of fashion television. Mm. And uh, I remember she, when I was, I think, nine or ten years old, and I gave a speech at school, and she came over and told me that she thought I did really well and <laughs> thought I was a really good public speaker, and mm. that made me feel so amazing. And then fast forward to when I interned at Fashion Television too, and just seeing how hard she worked and how good she was at her job and how um, dedicated she was to storytelling mm. because Fashion Television has one of the most incredible databases of video. Yes. So I certainly paid my dues in that internship and had a lot of responsibility. I remember one time I was charged with organizing a section of tapes like in the V part of the alphabet in the library, mm-hmm. um, being Versace, and I accidentally recycled them, Whoops. the entire Versace video archive of fashion television. Oh, so. No. Yeah, I went dumpster diving in the back of CTV to get those tapes like out of literally the garbage and put them back on their shelf and save Versace fashion history. So I've had a lot of I've had a lot of moments along the way where I've been like feeling like I'm this close to completely, you know, getting fired or mm. messing the whole thing up, but yeah, that's how you learn. You and then you go through the thrash and you rescue whatever needs to be rescued. You do whatever it takes. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, you went on to have a very successful career as an editor, um, more recently at Footwear News in New York, uh, which is fantastic, especially as a girl from Toronto and leading such a a prestigious publication. Um, And then something happened because you kind of went to the underside and recently launched uh, well, it's been a few years now. It's not that recent, but you launched your own uh, fashion brand, yes, uh, Thermacota Outerwear. Yes. So, tell me about that transition. Oh gosh, it was basically after four years um, working at Flair in Toronto. I just get this. I don't know about you, but I get this almost an itch. I would equate the sensation to when I feel like. I've reached my cap somewhere and it's Mm. like this little like annoying little Mm -hmm. scratch at my side that I'm like fixated on if I feel that maybe the learning curve has been reached and the growth opportunities aren't there it's a really strong internal instinct and signal to me and I'm sure many other women that you you know get the hell out of there Mm -hmm. and figure out what's next for you Um, so I certainly had that um, instinct around the end of my four years at Flair where I was just like dying to get out of Toronto, frankly, Mm. Um, just needing to spread my wings more and 
having gone to school in New York, it was just calling me back. Mm -hmm. Um, So luckily enough, my boyfriend, now husband at the time, agreed to come with me to New York. And I didn't really exactly have a job at the time, but I'm sort of one of those people that like, I like to manifest things and figure it out kind of as I go. So Mm -hmm. I just knew that if I got myself there, I could figure the rest out. Shortly after getting there, I got offered a job to be the associate fashion director at Hudson's Bay. Oh, So I did that for um, almost a year when I had first arrived in New York. And it was such a great learning experience uh, to be on the other side, Mm -hmm. on on the retailer side. And also Hudson's Bay was in such an interesting moment at that time. They were... They had recently purchased Lord & Taylor and were trying to revamp that. So that was a big project that uh, I was involved with. And then also they were in the process of purchasing Saks Fifth Avenue. So it was an exciting time for the company, but I realized that my job itself as the associate fashion director didn't really tap into any of my strengths Mm, mm -hmm. um and it felt very corporate right and so i think on my first day there again i got that really strong gut feeling that oh my god what have you done this is not for you but um so i kind of quickly pivoted i really needed to return back to journalism Mm -hmm. and writing and um and storytelling and thankfully the human resources team at conde nast had been in touch with me since i moved to new york um, cause Flair just had such a really good yes. reputation. I yeah. mean, those were kind of the glory days of mm. Flair. And I, I equate that to Lisa Tan's leadership and Elizabeth Cabral's amazing fashion direction. Yes. And, yes. Um, so that was such a launch pad for me. And, uh, I ended up, you know, my foot in the door at Condé Nast was an opportunity at Footwear News, mm-hmm. <laughs> which mm-hmm. is part of Women's Wear Daily. Yeah which also felt like a really funny full circle moment for me because growing up with my dad as the CFO of my mom's company, and then I think he was the CEO too, and my parents always worked together, he would bring Women's Wear Daily home every day. Mm-hmm. And so I that's like where I learned about LVMH and that they were this mm-hmm. luxury conglomerate and here all the brands that they owned and got really fascinated by the business side of fashion. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing about a brand like Footwear News and WWD is this is at a time, you know, that we're still in now where print media is really struggling. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, And not considered the most innovative, groundbreaking, essential format that it used to be. Mm -hmm. Now it's more luxury and there's way more emphasis on digital media. But the great thing about being at a industry a trade publication is that our readership and our subscribers were all people that getting the issue was not a luxury for them they weren't buying it on the newsstand it was a business expense right yes and you had to read women's wear daily to be informed on what was happening in the industry as i'm sure you know you had to Mm -hmm. in your career too it was just Mm -hmm. essential yeah so it felt really cool to be making creating content for readers that are the likes of you know all the top executives designers Mm. and editors in the industry this is what they're reading every morning with their coffee absolutely and i was given wonderful opportunities um i had gone from hudson's bay where um i hadn't had of the most supportive leadership um and i think that you know i realized how important it was for me to feel like i had 
support from my boss. And when I joined Footwear News and Women's Wear Daily, I had a boss who really wanted me to come with big ideas to the table and wanted me to elevate the brand. Mm -hmm. And I learned so much about footwear and it's a huge industry. It sure is. Mm -hmm. The footwear industry in the United States is bigger than the film industry. Mm -hmm. I mean, because everyone wears shoes. And it's true. Mm -hmm. And it's just fascinating. There's so many facets of it, be it the athletic business, or obviously, I mean, looking at your and I shoes right now, I'm in Prada, you're in Alaya. The luxury shoe industry mm-hmm. is just so delicious and still so old school and entrenched in family and, mm. you know, the worlds of Italy and France and Portugal and yeah. I just... Tradition, Spain. the craftsmanship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I really, really loved it. And I got to go to fashion weeks mm-hmm. in London, Milan and Paris and, of course, New York and make a lot of wonderful contacts and... Um, after four years there, I don't know if like four years is sort of my, it's your, uh, the timer is my little up four years. Clock. Yeah. I was like <laughs> covering all these incredible business women that were disrupting mm-hmm. the industry. And I was seeing all these examples of direct to consumer businesses that I was so fascinated by. Right. And I don't know about you, but I was also just looking at the way that I was shopping. Like here I am, I'm in New York city. Mm-hmm like the shopping capital of the world. Mm-hmm. There's every amazing store and retail experience you could think of, but how am I shopping? Mm-hmm. I'm shopping on my iPad on a Friday night with a glass of wine mm-hmm. because I don't have time or energy to trek to a store, to be going to stores. Yeah. And I thought to myself, if I'm shopping this way, maybe it would be, and I was also thinking about, it was coming at the same time right off um after I got married in Iceland, my mother and I had collaborated on a parka that she had made for me that was so spectacular. And I remember that because we actually also featured your yes. wedding story in the Brooks magazine. Yes, a little you bit. did. And it that was, was so but I had seen the original when it came out, um, I guess in Vogue. I had seen the, 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 the online story in Vogue. And every detail of that wedding was absolutely fascinating i mean Thank the you. fashion was incredible i remember <laughs> the boots you had made um and i could i would follow your stories because you were you obviously had a relationship with a lot of the uh, the, the footwear designers um but every element was so perfect <laughs> thank you it's so funny because that only came together in like three or four months and it wasn't well maybe overly... you should start a wedding planning business <laughs> because you excelled at it i think the lesson is sometimes if you like over contrive and plan things and put too much pressure on yourself you don't like have as much fun right and i had so much fun at my wedding and also there was like a massive blizzard it being iceland and it being new yeah. years yeah. and so thank god that i had this coat that you know was fitting of the occasion mm-hmm. but also fit the elements right and right, right. when I think about how many times you did you grow up in Montreal or in Quebec yeah. when I think about how many times I've seen you know both in Montreal or in Toronto in New York for sure as well that it will be the middle of winter and people will be going to some black tie function mm-hmm. or some party and they are throwing on like just an ugly sleeping bag coat on top of a beautiful dress and I'm like it kills me what is happening here? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because I think it really made me realize that we were lacking very versatile options. Like mm. coats felt and outerwear felt very divided in the market for yes. me between 
performing performance and functionality yes. and fashion and style mm-hmm. and glamour and beauty. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why can't those two things coexist? Yeah. And then, of course, I'm not the first person that thought about this. Mm-hmm. Really, my mother is one of the first people because when she was at the height of her business, she was super well known and her business was built off the back of this Laparca design, mm. which was based off the traditional coat of the Inuit people. Right. But she offered it in so many different colors. And so you were both warm mm-hmm. and ready for those Arctic tundra conditions, but you felt beautiful and glamorous. And mm. I was like, we need a new version of this ethos mm. in our wardrobe. And going to fashion weeks too, I was realizing that like I was putting together these outfits and thinking so carefully about everything I was wearing. And it really didn't matter what I wore. All mm-hmm. that mattered were my shoes and my coat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. Because <laughs> everything else was pretty much covered. So yeah, I was like, I need it. a wardrobe of coats. Mm-hmm. And when I think about the way that I dress and I, it's actually like such a kind of cheat, but I basically just invest in outerwear mm-hmm and create sunglasses and accessories and shoes. Mm -hmm. And the rest of it, I have quite a uniform and I wear the same Mm. things. And so we, I was like, what if we could make coats that were reversible? Mm -hmm. So you'd have two options. So you have two options. Yep. Cause I would have those long New York days where they would start at 7 a.m. and wouldn't get home to 11 p.m. And I would be from the gym to meetings, to the office, to a lunch meeting, to an evening function. Um, and that were incredibly warm, but not heavy, mm-hmm. and that felt unique, right? And that weren't reliant on over uh, overly obvious branding on the side of your mm-hmm. sleeve, mm-hmm. like some sort of ski patrol. I was mm-hmm. just so over that. Mm-hmm. So and made in Canada. So that's really where the idea of Thermacota came about, and the name Thermacota means warmth and protection in various Nordic languages okay. or shelter. Um, depending on the Nordic language, and we it's really born out of our Nordic heritage, and we shoot all our campaigns um, in Iceland, mm-hmm, too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, I always like when you take a trip to Iceland, because I obviously follow your stories on Instagram, which are highly entertaining and always Thank interesting, <laughs> and you always have the most beautiful locations when you're shooting. You have to go. Mm-hmm. It's Yeah, it's on my, on my list for the summer, actually. I'm also a big believer in, like, there's certain places that I feel like amazing things happen for me and yes. my creativity is really channeled and, you, 100%. Mm-hmm. and Iceland is one of those places mm-hmm. whenever I'm there magic happens mm-hmm. be it my wedding or a campaign or I'll meet the most inspiring person um New York is another one of those places mm-hmm. for me and even now that I'm living in Miami I find myself incredibly inspired there so it's funny it's just like my eye really it's the Diana Reeland quote, like, my eye has to travel. Mm-hmm. And I have to stay, be in places where my eye is curious and mm-hmm. I'm inspired. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And tell me about starting the business from scratch. Um, and I believe you partner with your sister to get it started. Yes. So I think my sister and I, first, my first project was convincing my sister that this was a really good idea <laughs> to start this business and I, that I needed her because she is an incredibly talented award-winning graphic designer. She had studied at Emily Carr and like Aritzia tried to hire her right out of school. Mm. She's just so gifted. And um, so I was like, I've got the fashion direction eye, you've got the branding creative direction eye, Mm -hmm. let's work on this and let's gang up on mom and see if we can convince her 
to lend her wisdom and expertise as our North Star. Mm -hmm. And let's do this. We can do a direct-to-consumer brand. Everyone's doing a direct-to-consumer brand. And, you know, you think it's easier, of course, when you first start. Mm -hmm. So, yes, we launched at really just to friends and family, like, end of 2016 Mm -hmm. um, into early 2017. And... the globe style had done a wonderful story on us when we first started about this one essential style that we had done called the Sigrin and uh, we received a lot of orders for that initial Mm -hmm. style like right out of the gate because Mm -hmm. um, not only were people responding to the new design but what I hadn't initially anticipated is that my mom has these loyalists Mm -hmm. and these customers that were so supportive of her and her career and have wardrobes of her clothes still that they wear that were like really you still have that 20 years later um <laughs> that were just kind of like waiting for her to, to offer resurface and yeah and offer, offer something brand again. new mm-hmm. and they feel like they know her because she's mm-hmm. so authentic and she really you know speaks to women on their level not above them fashion can feel so elitist mm-hmm. and i think my mom's always had a very um, relatable dialogue. Right, so we right. received a lot of that initial support. But then what was really exciting is like a lot of people from my generation and my sister's generation responded to what we're doing too, because we're really trying to create coats that transcend age. Mm, mm-hmm. So appeal to, you know, your 20s, like my sister, your 30s, like me, or your 60s, like my mom, um, that can really be expressions of your personal style and not wear you, but be unique. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So you launched at Marcoda. Were there any obstacles in making the business happen? And tell me maybe about the biggest challenge you faced as you launched the business. The biggest challenge. There was, I feel like, more than one big challenge. There's just constant mini challenges Mm -hmm. and constant fires that you're trying to put out and... Um, you know, you'll make plans for things to go one way and then you'll have to adapt to things going another way. So examples that I can think of, I mean, I think for a lot of new brands, their biggest hurdle would probably be production. Right. That was not a hurdle for us because my mom has so many great relationships and a a great network in in that world and knows how to get things made in Canada. Mm, Yeah. I think, yeah, I think the obstacle for us is how can we create a design that offers a lot of value for a fair price. Right, right, right. Uh, because, you know, it's it really is thinking about that value proposition um, and educating consumers so that they also understand that when you make things in Canada, it does cost a certain amount. Um, but, you know, coats are one of those items that you're going to keep for a very long time, so it is a worthy investment. But trying to get our margins right, mm-hmm. I mean, I've had to just, I feel like, launching this business for me has forced me to try and get you know to try and pass math the math (laughs) classes that I failed in high school I'm now you know getting probably at a minus in because we're have I'm having to immerse myself in things that I was so resistant of Mm -hmm. like spreadsheets Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and accounting Mm -hmm. thankfully my dad is an our CFO of this company and an amazing accountant and really good with numbers so he educates my sister and I a lot but it makes me think of this saying that my friends and I love called the obstacle is the way right yes and um I think 
it applies so greatly here to me where mm-hmm. which is the thing sometimes that you resist the most mm-hmm. is the thing you need to do yeah, exactly. and buckle down and just learn and yeah. stop making excuses but just figure it out mm-hmm. and don't I also think it's really important as a woman to understand your own numbers and not leave those 100%. in the hands of someone else yeah yeah it so, can make a huge difference when it's your own business and when it's your own business and when it's numbers that you really um, have a vested interest in, it's amazing how your ability to wrap your head around it is that much stronger. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you're running uh, a business which um, is, is is having quite a bit of success. Uh, the company is, is doing well, uh, exciting campaigns. You're still doing uh, some journalism, some editing as well, contributing to Vogue, among others. I love reading all the the cool guides to different cities and you did Thank Toronto, you. which was fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, and you now live in Miami. So there's a lot going on and I want to know how you keep balance in your life. What do you need to do on a daily basis to feel grounded? Oh my gosh. Yes. I, well, I've come to realize that I both crave and loathe the chaoticness that is just naturally a part of my world. Mm-hmm. I don't like being in the same place too long, mm-hmm. but that I'll get like stressed before a trip. I don't like having a million things on my to-do list, but in order to get things done, I need too many things to do. That's mm-hmm. just how my efficiency works. I work just the exact same way. And then yeah. I always regret placing myself in that situation, but it seems to work. Yeah, If I have one thing to do, mm-hmm. I won't do it. But if I have 10 things to do, that's how I chip away and actually increase my productivity. And I'm a great believer in one thing helping the other. And they're also recognizing that I'm a creative being and I'm not satisfied just doing one thing. And that was the other thing that like made me feel really um, like I wasn't a freak when I started spending more time in Iceland. And there's so many of my friends there they're like photographers and they're artists and they're also like documentary filmmakers and they're athletes and this might be one person yeah 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 yeah. like there's not so much of an emphasis on just a linear path right Mm -hmm. and why should i i have to be very selective about things that i say yes to Mm -hmm. and that they be worthy of me taking time away from my business but i also think that they can dovetail Mm. so i mean getting the opportunity to write for Vogue and have this wonderful like franchise series with them, the Cool Girls Guide, mm-hmm. which is my travel and style series, where uh, it just it com- satisfies me in so many ways because not only do I get to go and explore a new place, mm-hmm. the device of the story is the what I deem to be the most dynamic, purposeful, stylish women in that city become my tour guides. Right. And I feel like I'm, yeah, and I feel like I'm providing a real service to people because so many of us are traveling these days and just, you know, when you're going to a new place, you're often emailing someone who might know someone to send you their little list of where to go. Absolutely. We all want experiences that don't feel touristy. Yeah. Yeah, authentic experiences that locals actually do themselves. Yes. So the process of curating that and getting... I love learning what it's like. I love imagining what it's like to live in a different place. So I was recently in Hong Kong and I had really not spent that much time in Asia and just diving into what life is like there for women in the arts Mm -hmm. and in business was so fascinating for me. And then being able to provide like their little black book of resources Mm -hmm. in the end, which is coming out soon. 
is um is so cool but to answer your question about how I keep balance Mm -hmm. like I do have to be structured with myself and put myself on quite a militant routine okay so especially when you are your own boss Mm -hmm. and um when you have your own business so a lot of that for me starts with my morning if Mm -hmm. I can get a hold of my morning I feel like the rest of my day falls into place a, a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, that entails starting my morning with an exercise class mm-hmm. that starts at a distinct time. Or if I don't have time for that, I'll do something at home. Um, there's a workout online called Melissa Woodward Health, which I really like because you can kind of just do it from anywhere. But the mind-body connection is so strong for me mm-hmm. and helps me manage stress levels and mm-hmm. manage my equilibrium too. So Got to get that blood flowing. Mm-hmm. I also love to swim because mm-hmm. you can't be on your phone when you're swimming. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> well, you could be, but it'd be, it'd be the end of your iPhone. I know. Well, the other day I was swimming and I heard like a dung and I realized my AirPods were in, AirBuds or whatever they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I realized, oh my God, Moshe, like you need to <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you went in the water. I went in the water with, the water with them. Yeah, they survived, thankfully. Oh, wow. Um, but so, yeah, starting my morning off with that exercise routine and that time for myself. And then my sister and business partner and co-founder is based in Dublin. Mm-hmm. So she's four to five hours ahead of me. So the mornings are really important because that's when our time zones are more aligned. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So those morning hours I really carve out. But I think it's not as much about how much time you spend on something. It's about how dialed in and purposeful you are in that time. Right, right, right. So it's not about working more. It's about working smarter. So if we only have four hours together, my sister and I, a day, Mm -hmm. we're going to make sure that we are powering through. Right, right. Another tool that I find really helpful with productivity is Google Sheets Mm -hmm. um, and Google Docs because they're live documented. So with my intern in Toronto, my sister in Dublin, my mom in Toronto, we all feel like we're able to be connected. People that are in New York. Stay in touch. exchange everything you need to Mm -hmm. yes and then another thing that a friend told me recently that has really helped me with balance and productivity my friend richard florida who's like an incredible urbanologist Mm -hmm. and professor and is writing articles left right and center and i'm like how do you do it how do you not feel so stressed out and bogged down by deadlines because i often do and he's like i don't let myself bottleneck things i Mm. don't work on projects independently Hmm. and that was a real light bulb moment for Hmm. me so the way that that manifests itself for me is i figure out ways that i can start something and then pass it on to someone else even just to look at modify something so that the ball feels like it's continually rolling rolling. Mm -hmm. so that's been a big way that i can not let always the buck stop with me right but let there be a real exchange Mm. and flow to my work mm. and um and it helps with my anxiety too because mm-hmm. <laughs> I do tip. try to do too many things but I don't know I have mm-hmm. a big story coming up soon with the business of fashion I'm going to Italy at a shoe story so Ooh. when there's big opportunities and and good things like that I don't know I just figure it out I'll I'll sleep when I'm older right <laughs> <laughs> what's your definition of success and has it evolved over the years hmm Yes, it has. I think my definition of success is being able to engage and encourage engagement in meaningful conversations. Mm -hmm. So whether that be a conversation about one's personal style, because I do think it's so important that people are mindful and thoughtful about 
how they present themselves and put themselves forth in the world or whether it's a conversation about a woman whose work I feel is really valid and deserves a spotlight and I'm able to do that through the platform of Vogue or whether it's making someone feel beautiful through one of our designs at Thermacota and hearing from them how that's really impacted them. I just love having conversations and like I'm so lucky that I get to do um, my podcast, A Different Tweed, and then also that I get to go on the radio quite often on Mm. this wonderful show on CBC and NPR called Q. Yes and have conversations about fashion as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that's a real privilege. Mm-hmm. I love talking to people mm-hmm. and hearing their story and sharing my own perspective. And I think when I'm working on things that um, are going to stand the test of time, that makes me feel really good. We're in this digital era where there's such an emphasis on go, 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 get content out there as fast yes. as you can, or yeah. fast fashion, mm. like fast news cycle. and. Despite that, I recognize and appreciate about myself that I'm an old soul. Mm -hmm. So I'd rather do less, but make work that I feel better about. Mm. Um, And also, when you make something that goes online, that doesn't mean it's any less important than something that goes in print. It's going to be there forever. Anything associated with my name, I want, you know, to have a certain standard about. Mm. So I think as I've matured in my career and as I've gotten older, I've been better about saying no to things that don't serve that mission Mm -hmm. and yes to things that really are part of that vision that I'm working towards of lasting work that empowers people and encourages a dialogue even if you don't necessarily agree with it Mm -hmm. Um, and that there's a real quality that I stand behind to everything that I do Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah um, given that we are in town during CAFA, um, what would you say is the the place that is available for women to take on the in the Canadian um, uh, fashion industry? Well, I mean, the great thing about the fashion industry is there's so many women who are in positions of power mm-hmm. on various sides. Uh, what I would one area where women are really not as well represented is in the investment community. That's true. Um, and there's so many talented Canadian designers, emerging brands. Mm-hmm. I'm sure, you mm-hmm. know, they've come to you for advice. They've mm-hmm. come to me. And the problem is not, it's not a question of if they have what it takes. Yeah. It's a question of financing. Yes. Yes. Um, and growth capital. Yeah. Finding and support and finding that support. Mm-hmm. So one, not enough women are being, supported from a business perspective or know how to ask for money. I think that's Mm. something I even struggle with in my business. We're trying to raise money right now and it's really hard for me to ask for it. Um, But we we need it in order to take our business to the next stage. We've Mm. got so much potential. Right. Um, so I think that that is something that, you know, it, it's harder for women to ask for that kind of support, I think. But I also think there's less women holding the purse strings in the investment community that are looking to, invest Mm. in female entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's something that I would really like to see change, especially because the thing that when I'm living in the U.S. that always makes me so proud to be Canadian is the emphasis on sort of progressive liberal values in Canada. And you'll see that like Canada's always first to, you know, be 
to break boundaries when it comes to the LGBTQ2 community yeah, or yeah. to uh, in areas of multiculturalism mm-hmm. or in areas of violence or all these issues that really badly plague the U.S. and we've got a better handle on here in Canada, although it's not perfect. But I do think when it comes to female equality Mm -hmm. and um, supporting women in business, I don't see it being a lot different here than America. In fact, I think that the American confidence and chutzpah Mm. and um, larger than life attitude Mm -hmm. actually serves women better across the border. Yes. Uh I can see that. Yes, I think sometimes women in Canada and Canadians in general can like seek outside validation and lack that kind of confidence that Americans seem to have more of in spades and they shouldn't even have it. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of Americans that don't that feel way too good about themselves. I don't know. I feel like there's there's there can be extremes, but there should be a happy medium mm-hmm. and I would I think Americans could learn to be a little bit more humble mm-hmm. and Canadians could learn to assert more power mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. um demand more. Yeah. 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 yeah that's true. <laughs> Hopefully I can figure out I a was going to like, say, you know, yes, you can start with your I learned, with your own uh, I learned from both. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, is there a book that, um, could be a movie as well, but, uh, preferably a book that you read that influence or really change your life almost something maybe that you find yourself going back to? Mm, it was funny when you say that the, I'm just going to give you the first thing that popped into my head. I'm not going to give you the answer that I think like is going to sound the best or make <laughs> me sound the most intelligent or well-read, but a book that really changed my life and made a huge impact on me was The Red Tent. Um, And that is a fictional book about a very early community of Jewish women Mm. in what is now Israel. Mm -hmm. And it's really a story about women in a community, how they support each other through thick and thin. Mm. And I really feel like... uh, there's so much, there's so many metaphors there for my own life mm, mm-hmm. and the sort of fe- female centric world that I live in and how I love to mentor and be mentored by a band of amazing, fiery, inspiring females as well mm-hmm. through thick and thin. And I think that that's an incredible story of just like the resilience and the strength and the quiet power of mm. the female spirit mm-hmm. through so many obstacles. Mm. Yes. <laughs> Make me want to read it. <laughs> you should. <laughs> you must. You mm-hmm. must. Even just simple things in the book that they talk about, about like a very early you know, period in time when women were having to deal with issues like being isolated from their communities when they were dealing with like their menstruation cycles. And mm. when, in our society now, yeah. things are so much in so many ways easier for women, but it gave me an appreciation of how far women have come to Mm. be able to be in this moment now. And I feel a sense of responsibility. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Hmm. If we fast forward 10 years from now, looking back, what do you think will be the one thing you'll be the most proud of? I think probably that right or wrong, I've taken risks. Mm. And I followed my gut and I paid attention to signals and my intuition mm-hmm. um, because it's for me so strong and impossible to ignore. But I think at the end of the day, that's 
are also a reflection of my connection with my spirituality and just my desire to continually evolve. Mm -hmm. So it will be interesting to see where that takes me, but I really hope that I can continue to grow Thermacota to reach more women and provide job opportunities for more women Mm -hmm. and be able to, you know, kind of carry on the torch that my mother so amazingly kind of lit in our family of creating things for real women Mm. and and that's a beautiful story and it's amazing that you and your sister are continuing what she had started yes yeah Mm. it feels really funny how it's all worked out Mm. in a very roundabout way it wasn't Mm -hmm. planned but Mm. I think it it must be destiny yeah Yeah. (laughs) well thank you so much for speaking to me today best of luck with the future of Thermacota and and your career in fashion uh, uh, being an editor as well and enjoy CAFA tonight thank you yes we got excited to see who who's gonna win in all these categories I know I love getting an opportunity to be back here and just celebrate the Canadian industry mm-hmm. and it's such a reminder for me especially when I live abroad like there's so many incredible Canadians both in Canada yeah. and working internationally that yeah. are just killing it mm-hmm. and working so hard and I love to you know tip my hat to them and celebrate them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and you were a judge on uh, on on CAFA so you probably have a- I'm very judgmental so I feel like <laughs> So that was a perfect job for you. So maybe that's why they asked me because I'm very opinionated about about these designers, but there's a few in there that I think have really got something special. Mm. So fingers crossed. We'll see. Can't wait to yeah. find out. Thank you, Moshe. It was great speaking to you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to The Brand is Female and to my interview with Moshe Lindstrom Halbert. I hope you enjoyed today's show. And if you did, as always, please subscribe, rate, and review. Five stars would be ideal. And mostly, please come back next week to hear my interview with a new guest on the show. Yeah.